Hey everybody, welcome back to the Eat Well podcast. Uh, I, I'm sitting down with uh, my friend Jenny Lee from the BC Backcountry Hunters and Anglers in, in Region 2, and also my good friend Jesse Zeman, who's been on the podcast a few times representing the BC Wildlife Federation. And uh, I invited them both on because I wanted to talk about something that's kind of come up in the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of chatter uh, within the hunting community around uh, what it amounts to a, a being described as a, a war on a, a, or a fight against hunters or a fight against uh, um, trying to keep uh, our way of life to, to continue on. And, and I think there's a lot of confusion around who we're fighting or what we're fighting. And and, uh, and I, this generated a lot of conversation. So when I saw the, the chatter coming online, the, the first person I, I, I was confused as to what, where this was coming from. So I, I reached out to Jesse as, as someone who's kind of always in the middle of all the middle of these things a little bit in his role and I'll, I'll get to that in a second when he comes on here and and, and I, so he was the first person I called and then a couple of days later I get a call from Jenny going I'm getting all this social media pressure to like say something about this war that's going on and I don't know what to say so uh, you know fill me in like you got the details I was like funny enough I just had the same conversation so this is definitely a podcast topic so uh, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Uh, first of all, Jenny, you want to just give me an, a, a bit of background on your on uh, why 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 you're here? All right. Well, thank you, Dylan, for having me on the podcast. This is pretty exciting. Uh, well, I volunteer for the BC chapter, the BHA, and I do a lot of the events and some of the marketing, and I manage our uh, Instagram page and things of that sorts. Awesome. And you also have. There's two other th- reasons why you're on this podcast. One is that you you have a, you have a, a marketing background. You work in, in in marketing, and you also maintain uh, a very active social media presence uh, for your own project. What's your project called? Uh, Chasing Food Club. Thank you. And 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 kind of for the listeners, what's that about? Like, what what's the theme behind it, and why did you start that podcast? Or sorry, that that social media story. Um. Well. Uh. It just started as kind of a journey of uh, documenting my own uh, journey into hunting uh, from a perspective of somebody that did not grow up or actually knew hunters existed in BC, quite frankly. And it's just kind of turned into more of uh, kind of, a, I guess, a page dedicated to the story of hunting and, um, and the food and the culture and the community around hunting. I think that's kind of where it's blooming to. Lots awesome. of food. <laughs> I, lots of awesome creative food recipes building on your uh, your 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 family's from Vietnam and and you have a passion for Vietnamese food which I uh, I also do so I follow you very closely when it comes to your recipes but thanks for the good work you're doing. And then Jesse, can you tell me uh, why you're here and who you represent and all go all the good things you do. <laughs> thanks Dylan. Uh why I'm here? I guess probably mostly because you and I have known each other for a long time would be why. Uh, That's my guess. And then under that, what do I do? Uh, It depends on the day, I guess. Um, Hunting and angling issues, conservation issues. uh, It's it's hard to even picture what my job description would look like, I guess. It's just generally dealing with issues uh, related to consumptive use and related to conservation, maybe, is that those are the two the two big things. So at so you're the director with BC Wildlife Federation. Yeah, and I'm the director, director of Fish and Wildlife Restoration is the title, but um you know the the job description I guess some days fits in with that nicely and then other days it's more access and hunting and fishing stuff, so it's kind of all over the board. So you so you're and I said at the beginning you kind of at the center of this sort of what's happening. I don't mean that you're you know, you're responsible for this in any way. You're not you're not meddling in all the all the uh, all the affairs that are happening, but more so, you're just a conduit. I think I think you got really good relationships with a lot of people, so I think people trust you and want to talk to you and share a lot. You know, and and I think that that puts you in, in a very knowledgeable place and also a place of influence for a lot of this stuff. And um, you're often the guy who. Uh, last time I caught you on the radio a couple of weeks ago, you're 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 tackling those. You're you're being asked on to mainstream media to talk about difficult issues, and, and you're stepping up to have those those types of conversations. And um, you're often that person who 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 does that for for our general hunting community and um, yeah, representing both the BHA, but the, uh, sorry, both the BC Wildlife Federation and a much larger community of hunters. So thanks for that good work you do. So 
let me just uh, go back to my, my, I have a bit of a storyline here of how I, how I kind of want to walk through this. So somebody declared war uh, out there and I don't know who declared it. I don't know who we're fighting or like, are we fighting each other here? Like, uh, Jesse, can you give me a bit of a snapshot of what sort of has emerged over the last couple of weeks in terms of this larger dialogue around that there's anti-hunting or is an anti-hunting movement uh, that that we're there's a call to action for hunters in general to respond to it? Um, can you give me a bit of context around what were some of those key things that happened to sort of generate a bit of momentum here? Sure. If we're just if we're just going to stick to 2021, I think, uh, you know, probably about a month ago or a little bit more, um, a paper was released uh, with a number of authors who are um, affiliated with with uh, Raincoast. And the paper uh, essentially, you know, framed up uh, a few things. One is that hunters have a, a social license to operate, which is essentially true. You know, at the end of the day, the public is who decides who gets to hunt or hike or whatever that might be. And so that part of it's true. And then under that, um, what it said is essentially the public uh, doesn't like, quote unquote, trophy hunting. And it tied large carnivore hunting to trophy hunting. And the focal species there were bears, cougars, and uh, wolves. So that was kind of the first, the first kind of discussion. And quite often, when these things come up, then other things come up right after them. Right? It becomes trendy with the media, um, especially with the media who, you know, a lot of them are are quite often disconnected from conservation as we know it and disconnected from wildlife. So that was kind of the first one. And then after that. We had uh, an individual on Vancouver Island that trapped some wolves, put that on social media. And um, as far as I know, that individual has kind of a history around uh, inflaming uh, non, the non-hunting or anti-hunting movement, maybe. Um, so attracts a large amount of attention. And so that was the next story. Um, and that came out around uh, trapping wolves and uh, the sustainability of that and the ethics of that and the morals of that. And then probably within a matter of a week after that, we did a radio interview on the Mike Smythe show with a lawyer who um, is kind of an animal welfare activist, also represents Pacific Wild in a lawsuit against the government around caribou recovery and wolf management. Um, and so her take on it was that hunting should just be stopped in its entirety. And um, that brings us to today, I guess. And so those were the four triggers. But but as I said, like these things kind of snowball and they feed off of each other. And with some of the people that are involved, there's linkages between a lot of these organizations and between these personalities. Um, so so that's yeah, so that's what got us to today, I would say. Okay. Okay. So just I'm gonna I'm gonna just step back a little bit. So the um the piece that I uh, I under so I I had to do a large, deeper dive after we, we had a conversation after I checked in with you and you kind of framed this out for me. I'm like, okay. So I went and found this article by a guy named Chris Daremont that, that basically it's an academic ar- article that says it's about specifically on social, uh, like social license to hunting and particularly discussing large carnivores. And that if, if, uh, if the public, if the, if the hunters lose our social license to hunt, then we would potentially lose well, lose the ability to hunt carnivores, and that'll eventually result in losing access to being able to hunt other species potentially. So that's the that's sort of the that was the first thing that people saw that that got media attention and and, and discussion was built around that. Now that's that that's not a new concept, and I'm curious, Jenny, from your marketing background, like social license is that something that's is that a marketing term? Uh, when you when you think about in, in terms of persuasion and marketing to people, can you speak to that sort of professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, everything can be turned into marketing. So um, they sat around, probably thought of that, and it, I mean, it it, it worked. It, it made sense. It spoke to us. Um, heck, I I read that paper three times, and I was like, this this is good. <laughs> this is this is good. I mean, I know what you're trying to do because I know your bigger picture, but this is good. I, I I'm on board with this. So yes, that is good storytelling, which is good marketing. 
Yeah, I think it's important in that context that um, the the thing I maybe I didn't mention is is as this thing kind of steamrolls, as you're you're right, Dylan, is that essentially what's going on is this is this is about the long game. So they're building a straw person in the public's mind of this is who hunters are, right? And mm-hmm. so they're they're picking out one percent of hunters who you know are not managing their social media property, are not telling the story of hunting are not acting in terms of what we would consider ethically or responsibly. Um, but they use those examples to get, to burn that person into the public's mind. And so I think that's where this all kind of culminates. And then the other interesting thing with that paper is it didn't really get much airplay. Uh, it ended up in Hackeye. Um, I did an interview where I got, you know, burned by a reporter and there were uh, over a dozen changes made after by the editorial board. But, but that paper didn't get a lot of traction. But then when the wolf stuff came out, that paper was linked into those articles. So it, it gives the media more fodder to discuss it. So on its own, that paper wasn't that attractive to the media. But as soon as somebody puts a post out that I've got two wolves and I'm going to whole pack removal as the intent or something, something to that effect, then it's like, okay, I can write about this, but then I can also bring up this other paper and put the two together. And there's synergies to be had uh, if you're selling newspapers with with adding those stories. Or someone might say the article is maybe not too far from being accurate in the sense that if regardless, it's per- we know, we already know, even before this article comes out, that images and people bragging around killing wolves is going to find its way to a place that people don't understand it, don't accept it want to want to criticize it and want it to stop like that's just that's not the like that's that's been that's been happening forever it's just that this article kind of tries to provide a, a, a an academic framework to sort of prove that this is an eventuality if you continue to you know lose your social license by sharing images that are not palatable to the public that you'll see results that are you lose hunting opportunities so Let's look at an example. I'm sure most hunters are familiar with it, but let's talk about the grizzly bear hunt and and the loss of the grizzly bear hunt in BC. So, Jesse, you were you were riding along for this. You know, you're well aware of this. Can you walk us through the progression of how we went from having a grizzly bear hunt in BC and to when it got canceled? And what were some of the pressures uh, from the public? Yeah, and this is way uh, this is way before my time because this actually so I ended up with a box of newspaper articles that all go all the way back to the 1970s from one of the retired large carnivore biologists. So this is the grizzly bear thing started even before I was born. Um, I think it really ramped up in the 90s, uh, and so there's kind of a there's a two piece. So the 90s and into the 2000s, it was all about sustainability. And so there was the use of a government habitat biologist who wasn't actually a habitat biologist. He was a fisheries biologist. And he wrote a paper, I think in the early 2000s or late 90s, that said essentially grizzly bears are going to be extirpated from British Columbia due to quote unquote sport hunting. And so the public hooked on to that and the media hooked on to that on the sustainability piece. Um, Raincoast, you can see, was involved in that heavily going back decades, right? Over time, the sustainability piece didn't really hold a lot of water um, because a lot of the predictions didn't come true. And over time, I think they shifted and said, okay, you know, we're not gaining ground on the sustainability issue. Where do we look at next? You know, where is the weak spot in the armor? And they went, Hey, people don't really like trophy hunting, quote unquote, and they probably don't like grizzly bear hunting. So let's go after that. And then there were again, you know, there's always been this push around um, people's perception of hunting. Uh, and then there was some bad video that was put out with some hunters, I think, not not even from BC, from Alaska, that got all kinds of footage. And so a lot of this stuff is like cumulative effects, I guess, maybe is what I'm saying. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in 2017, the government said they were banning grizzly bear hunting um, because it wasn't part of the British Columbia's culture. Um, and that's, that's how that happened. But it wasn't an overnight thing. Um, this was like decades in the making, right? And so, you know, I think part of the the learning now is, you know, we have to adapt to those situations and consider them carefully and have a way to 
influence um, our friends and peers and society and elected officials because uh, it's it is that the prediction is true. Um, we probably don't like the way people are framing us up, but the reality is we can lose hunting for sure and fishing as well. Uh, yeah, and I think going back to the grizzly bear hunting example, like I don't know at the time if you know we did. Uh, I, mean, I say we as a hunting community did a good job of telling a positive story to whether it's to the public or back to our politicians that said grizzly but grizzly bear hunting is important to our way of life and this is why it's important and this is the values that it brings and this is the and i think there there are aspects of that story that are i think are quite positive when you start talking about the the guide outfitting industry in the northern parts of bc where there's intact wilderness because grizzly bears need wilderness and therefore there's a, a an active industry that supports having intact wilderness that grizzly bears thrive in and and there's a I think there's a, there are positive stories that can be told. Uh, I think that the story that I, I kind of remember back to this, the story that was like, kind of was like the business case for not killing grizzly bears. is like, well, people like to watch them and there could be this whole industry of people watching them instead of killing them. Isn't that a better use of the resource? And I think that garnered a fair bit of like public sentiment of that business case of like, well, this is a way better use of a resource or the grizzly bear. And, but that would that yeah go ahead yeah that so in that research now we're, we're kind of getting specific, but that research really said that there these these two outcomes are mutually exclusive so it said if you have viewing you can't have hunting or if you have hunting you can't have viewing and that's not actually true right um there are cumulative effects that happen under that um but but on that one you know so when i got involved in this that was the approach was this is science and it brings in money right and it's like, okay, that's a rational argument when you're preaching to the choir, but I don't think you're going to sell the public on that, right? And bear viewing, um, you know, if we're looking at it at the individual animal, uh, you know, kind of st- the, the position of an individual animal, you're going to bring in more dollars from viewing than you are from hunting, for sure, on an individual animal basis. So uh, a lot of that messaging, I think, was not... It didn't resonate with the public. It might have resonated with elected officials, but we never did mm. the, you know, and so so what I hear nowadays still is it's science-based wildlife management. It's science this, it's science that. What the public is saying is they don't care if it's science-based or if it's sustainable because we could have a sustainable harvest of bald eagles or whatever kind of species you can think of that probably isn't going to be socially supported. So we know that science-based wildlife management does not 100% resonate with the public and that social attitudes are going to play a large role. And so we have to think about a way to talk about social attitudes and their perception to hunting. Because a lot of these arguments that that hunting groups and organizations have come up with are very preachy, right? Um, it sounds good and we can say it to ourselves and make ourselves feel better about it, but the public really doesn't get a lot of that stuff. And quite frankly, for some of it, they don't care. And I just don't think it, I think it's too, it's just not a great story. It's it's not it's, talking about wildlife management and the triggers for population dynamics just does not necessarily, it, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with people, but there it's are not story- sexy news. So they're not going to post it at five o'clock. <laughs> There's that yeah, too. For sure. Yeah. Let, I want to come back to that, like about our messaging at the end. And that's where I want to get us to. But uh, Jenny, I'm curious. So do you like where? You're a relatively new hunter. What was your take on when Grizzly Bear, the Grizzly Bear ban happened in BC? Were were, were you hip? Were you paying attention to what was happening to hunting at that at that time, or uh, what were your initial thoughts about it? Or, or I think sentiment? I just first started, so I couldn't really form my own opinions. I didn't really understand the big picture. Uh, I just saw all hunters around me, my mentors, get angry, and so I got angry with them, but I didn't understand why. <laughs> Sounds like this stuff might be yeah. kind of familiar right now. I hear a lot of people getting really angry right now, but I don't know if anybody knows what we're getting angry about. Can, can I just share a quick sentence about yeah, that? Go because for it. Yeah. when this whole thing started, I got, I got all these angry messages at me to hurry up my messaging, respond, do something. So I started getting angry at them. 
And then, and then now weeks later, this emotional roller coaster has settled down. I've done the research, talked to everybody. Now I just feel kind of bad because I'm like, I just, I just contributed to the, to, I, I am what I was just contributing to this mess because they were getting angry at me. I was getting angry at them. But anyways, now, now it's clear. And I'm like, okay, there's a real problem and we, we got to go somewhere. But it, just, just sharing that. Yes. Get, getting angry back does not help. <laughs> it was yeah lesson yeah. learned <laughs> but it's very like hunting is very uh emo like it's like it's tied it's tied to you right so it's very hard to separate you know even the act of hunting it's hard to separate or identify your emotions as you're hunting or if you harvest yeah. an animal right like you see even with individual people i've seen different responses when they harvest one animal from the next depending on the circumstances so Hunting is so close to everyone's heart that they get extremely passionate about it. Um, and I certainly hear and feel their passion on a daily basis. And quite often, as you say, Jenny, it's not friendly. And I, you know, that's part of, part of what I'm sure we're going to talk about. But what you're saying is right. Like having someone come over at the top, over the top ropes at you multiple times per day is not going to help anyone to think clearly and deliver a message that is consistent that, you know, that we want to reflect upon hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but back to the, the things on the grizzly now knowing what I know and actually hearing the impact of whole, I guess, um, what, what do you call those guides, hunting guides, organizations and stuff and how they've had to go out of business and whole towns suffer because of that. And things that sorts like I definitely think there there needs to be a middle ground, but uh, you are absolutely right, Jesse, that the public doesn't care. <laughs> so, and that's that's where good storytelling comes in, and that's why you we pay for professional PR to tell that story for the long game. Yeah. So we're gonna have to hire Jenny before we get done the podcast. Um, you, you'll, on. you'll notice in this, uh, you'll notice that I can barely put together a sentence because English is my third language, but I can recognize good PR. <laughs> <laughs> well, even just telling the right people, that's what we, where we need to get to. Again, what we're got to get into the, uh, towards the solution part of this podcast is where I want to go. But I had a question, you know, for both of you and are we losing uh, our battle for social license to hunt? In a, and now let's not just focus on, I, I sorry, it, 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 across the board for hunting. Are we losing the battle to, for, for our social license to hunt? I'm going to start with you, uh, Jenny, on that thought. Thank you. So Jesse can clean up my scrambled thoughts <laughs> after I spit them out. Uh, I don't think so, at least not from where I live. I feel like the generation that's voting, that's speaking up, that's taking action, non-hunters, are more accepting of hunters because they're just more open-minded um, and can see that hunting and gathering is an important part of life. And I'm saying this because uh, I, I, told, I mentioned to you, gents, earlier that in a pottery class recently, of a pottery class hosted in downtown Vancouver, we got chatting. We just met on the first day and everybody, we started sharing our social media and somebody said, Jenny, you've been quiet. What's your social media handle? And I just had a full on panic attack because I was like, shit, I just met these people. They don't even know who I am. Haven't had a chance to like warm up to them and they're totally going to judge me. They're going to go on and be like, look at her. She's a full on killer. And, uh, anyways, next day came back to class. Everybody added each other on and everybody had the most amazing questions of, Hey, how long have you been doing this? What's your favorite thing to go out there and hunt? Uh, what's your favorite thing to cook? And we actually spent two hours of that party class just talking about wild foods. And so, and it's all people that are, I think, most active in the media, uh, taking up the jobs right now in the career, stepping up and having the loudest voices, the next generation kind of. So I, I, I think there's hope. I, and I there's appreciate hope that the non-hunting public is accepting of it. I appreciate that, Jenny, a lot because I, you know, and I kind of look at it through the lens of, I mean, we're very, we're, we live in a bubble for sure. We live in a little Vancouver bubble here, but 
but you look at some of the, you know, when I got into this business of teaching people how to hunt, there was, I think there was, well, there was under 80,000 hunters and just over 70,000, somewhere in there, there. That was 10 years ago. And now we're, we're over a hundred thousand licensed hunters here in BC. So that's 30,000 new hunters or something along those lines mm-hmm. in that time, probably more with some, with some, you know, people getting out of it. Um, that's that that's encouraging and i know that there's a new demographic of people that are learning to hunt that are taking an interest and and uh and for what i see when i when i teach every day i see 30 to 40 percent of the classes coming from non-traditional well not like there i see people of color in our classes i see a greater level of gender diversity i see um people from all backgrounds and 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 ways of life that are that are coming out and i i think that can only do good things for us because we're not just representing you know uh 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 you know, uh, a white bunch of white dudes. And uh, I think that if a more diverse voice, like a stronger voice and, and we can reach more people and create more common ground with more people. So, so in our bubble, I think things look rosy and I think not, well, I think things are positive for sure. And I think the story that people are telling within that community is more focused on the food aspects and connection to food and getting away from industrialized. When you say bubble, Dylan, do you mean like the non-hunting or like just the general area, like the lower mainland or? I would say that, yeah, we, like when I say we share a bubble in Vancouver of, you know, of people in our same demographics that are fairly switched on to, you know, wanting to be connected to nature, um, Mm -hmm. wanting to, yeah be more responsible where the food comes from we were we could we're afforded a certain privilege to be be able to look at the world that way so we are in a bit of a bubble but it's a very different bubble than hunting's ever been part of which i think is an important part to recognize and i'd like to know more about and i think that bubble has a potential influence in different ways so what i'm curious is outside the little bubble that we're in jesse how does the social license hunting look uh, more on a BC provincial perspective, say where you are in the Okanagan um, or across the board uh, from from where you sit. Yeah, and I haven't, so most of the research that I've done has all been around hunters themselves and their motivations and perception and satisfaction, all the rest of that stuff. Um, I think broadly, when you look at a lot of the work that's been done outside of BC, because we really haven't done any uh, other than uh, some limited stuff, um, what you'll find is is most people, or at least when they're younger, want to try hunting and fishing. Like they're full-on hunting curious, but they don't have the opportunity to do that. And then as they get older, uh, it becomes harder. So as you know, Dylan and Jenny, if you have a mentor, chances are you're going to stick with hunting. If you don't, chances are you're, you know, you're not going to get into it. And if you do... Um, you're not going to stick with it because it's going to be really hard to learn because it's a peer taught activity. Um, but in terms of, yeah, right. Right. So it, you know, it's not like golf. You can't go down and rent a, rent a set of clubs and go out and whack, chase a ball around. Like it's a very different uh, activity. Um, so it's hard to get into hunting. I think most people when they're younger want to get into hunting, they're hunting curious. Um, but the, the challenge around this is, is that, you know, so Dylan, you're talking about back when we got down to 84,500 hunters in 2005 was the low point. We're at 107,000 now. A lot of what came with that was positive media, right? Hunting's growing. It's changing. The hipster hunter. People want food security. All those stories, right? And, you know, Randy Shore carried most of that, right? He full-on carried because he understands that conservation and hunting go hand in hand, right? That sustainability yep. is tied to hunting. And so we're kind of missing that. But the 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 challenge on, on my end at the provincial level is when these stories come out and it talks about people who hunt black bears or trophy hunters, um, you know, that doesn't help. And so people who are hunting curious then are far less inclined to go sign up for Dylan's core course or to ask Jenny how she got into hunting. So that is the challenge that I see is that is that if we lose this narrative that, you know, hunting from a demographic perspective is changing, from a race perspective is changing, that people are motivated by meat and to spend time with friends and family and to enjoy nature, um, then we'll see, you know, people's social support for us and the support to get more hunters. You'll see that change, right? Um, so overall, you know, the last 15 years, I would say it's been pretty positive. 
the grizzly bear stuff definitely didn't help. Um, and this more recent stuff, you know, hundred percent doesn't help. So, um, is there hope? Yeah. Um, the issue I think, uh, around the demographic shift is real and it's good. I think there was a time when the older demographic, you know, if you didn't like hunting, the response was F you, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you hunt. Well, then F you. And so I think now there's a younger generation of hunters that when they hear that, it's like, well, let me tell you why I hunt. And let me tell you what my connection to nature is like. And let me tell you what I do with the meat. And let me tell you how much time we spend before we go on a trip and what this means to our family. And then they go, hmm, you know, hunting's really not that bad. Maybe I'll give it a try. So it's a matter of responses, right? And, and if we are, you know, if we are talking about it positively and we're kind of leading this life in a way that the public um, perceives as good, then you're going to see hunting's popularity rise for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And I think that's, that, that's good perspective. And I, that's kind of what we want to talk about next year is like, what are some of the things that we can do uh, now to help? Like um, I had a, uh, um, I can't remember her name right now. I got a great story. I just can't, I can't pull the name out of my, my little brain right now, but uh, I'll have to come back to it. Um, but let, let's talk about some of the positive things that we can do now that can help influence, you know, our, I don't, I didn't want to, I don't even want to use the word fight. First of all, I think the first thing we should do is not use words like fight or attack. Like those aren't words that build relationships. Those are things that tear people apart. That, that makes us sound like aggressive people and aggressive people with guns aren't good people. And so I think the first thing we need to do is like, let's start managing our language. This is to be about diplomacy and relationship building and education and sharing a positive story. So I guess I just, I wish I was going to ask the question, but I just tried to answer my own. First thing is like, what can we do to our messaging to make it more accessible, acceptable, like what's their themes be that we're talking about when we're trying to build social license? When I'm going to the marketer first. I just want to clarify. I I'm actually a software consultant for marketing agency. So I, I coach them on how to stay profitable. So I, I know their finances and how much they charge uh, groups like uh, raincoast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, okay. Can I start big picture and then go small? Can I throw down two I things? I like that. Okay. I like that. Big picture. Uh, I think all these wildlife groups we have in BC that happen to be operated by hunters um, need to spend more money on promoting the good work that we do. Because I think that speaks way louder than declaring a war on our hunting rights. I don't know if that's even appropriate to say, and I don't want anybody to reuse those words I just said. Maybe we can say preserve our heritage, our hunting heritage. There we go. I, I think that speaks a lot louder. And I know, and as Jesse keeps saying, big picture, big picture. To me, when Jesse says big picture, it means you got to be patient. You know, you got you to gotta actually have a strategy of... Of, of, of sharing the good news we do. So it reaches the not, it reaches the non hunting public. And you got to keep doing that, not just once, but over and over and over again. Uh, instead of spreading ourselves thin and, and fighting for hunting rights or, or gun rights and things of that sort, that's not going to help our situation because that does look aggressive, but we got to, we got to paint the whole story and, and, and show all the good work that we do. And all these groups do amazing work. And I think we, we could do a better job of sharing that to the non hunting public. And then from a, a, a smaller standpoint, from each individual hunter uh, in BC, we, we just got to keep sharing our story. And a, lo a, a lot of people, uh, you know, come to me and go, yeah, 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 Jenny. Like, I have 25 followers. Who the heck am I talking to? Well, statistically, even if you just have 25 followers, that one image, whether you hashtag, you share it, doesn't matter how many likes you have, how many comments, the algorithm's actually going to automatically reshare it on people's feeds to help you get more followers. 
And so that one image can easily make a hundred impressions. And a hundred impressions just means somebody has seen it, has scrolled past it quickly. And so everybody here does have a social responsibility. And everybody here does have an impact, no matter how small or big you think you are. If you're throwing stuff on the wide web, you definitely have an impact. And so we can definitely share our story a little better. And a story, and also when I say a story, the sharing the story a little better, it does not mean posting up a picture with your rifle and going, oh, I have the right to hunt, <laughs> you know. Um, you're really, if you're doing that, you're really just speaking to other hunters because only other hunters are going to get how heavy that pack is and how many rounds you've had to shoot to make sure you can take an ethical shot at that animal. No one else is going to get it, but other hunters. So if you want to speak to the general public, uh, you gotta, you gotta share the full story. You gotta share the scenery, the blisters on your foot, you know, how many days you actually spent, how many days you came home empty handed. Um, yeah, that's my little tidbit. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Right on, Jesse. What What are your thoughts about messaging? Yeah, uh, awesome, Jenny. I think it's um, I think it's great having Jenny part of these conversations because she brings like multiple different perspectives, whereas Dylan and I bring like similar perspectives. Right? It's totally it's it's great. Um. At the organizational level, I think there is uh, space now to start talking about some of these issues. Um, broadly, you know, hunters and hunting organizations need to kind of get their shit together in a big way. And we have to... So the challenge with this social license piece is that if we can't manage the 1% and their, you know, irresponsible behavior then all of us, the other 99% of us, will get managed. And so what I'm saying is if people, if there's 1% that are not responsible and we can't separate ourselves from that, we are all going to be regulated for that 1%, right? So that's the reality. So we need to figure out a way to manage our people, right? Our culture. Um, so I would say that's the big picture. I think there's space now organizationally with a lot of the, the kind of consumptive use organizations that, okay, this threat is real. Maybe we should start talking about this, thinking about it and throwing some money at it. And so, you know, that's doing research, social science, all the rest of that. And that's important. It's going to cost big dollars, but it needs to be done. Um, I always say this, and my focus is at the individual level, because um, at the organizational level, uh, I do get asked to talk to the media a lot about hunting and fishing issues and sustainability issues um but when i'm when i'm talking then i'm the quote-unquote paid lobbyist for the hunting lobby right and so mm -hmm. that on my end um typically is not that's not a quote-unquote win right um it, it just when it's framed in that manner, it's really hard to actually convey who hunters are and have that discussion. And as much as a person tries to convey that, I'm still only a lobbyist, right? Um, and people make that clear. Whereas as an individual on my own personal social media, I'm Jesse that everybody knows and people like, and they respect. I think my perspective. Looks like Claire's just joined the podcast. She's been <laughs> awfully quiet for the last couple of podcasts and really cooperating, but uh, she's just decided to get up here. <laughs> so she should settle down. I might just have to <laughs> ax out a second here. And there's, oh, no, she's, uh, she's 15 and a bit now. And, you know, spends most of her time sleeping and occasionally gets up. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to. Step All good. This, is, this so, is getting past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, uh, early to bed, early to rise then? I am. Yeah. I sell software globally, so oh, wow. I have calls with like India and the UK in the mornings. So. Oh, wow. What kind of yeah. software? What's the software? It's uh, agency management software. So uh, we specifically coach PR and marketing companies on how cool. to be profitable. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. 
Yeah, I wanted to clarify that because I didn't want to people think I'm a marketing specialist because they're like, she can't even speak English. Like, what the hell? I'm not paying for her. <laughs> you, I feel I wouldn't have known that it was your third language, to tell you the truth. And I feel like you speak English well. So, um, But now that I've mentioned it, you're going to notice. You're going to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She uses some words that like. Mm. <laughs> we all do. Um, no. Okay. Sorry, Dylan. No. So um, we were just talking about uh, Claire before Claire had to interrupt us. Right. Um, uh, yeah, we were just level. Yeah. Okay. Just, just some of the efforts at the individual level here. Right. Okay. So at the individual level, I'm Jesse, and the people who are on my social media, which is quite, you know, I limit that it's not public because I get a lot of threats from people who don't hunt a lot of death threats and i get a lot of threats from people who do hunt as well so my social media is pretty closed um but the people who are in uh, our bubble uh, none of them have ever flagged the way we hunt or the way we fish or have ever given us grief right and so we have you know relatives who are vegetarians and pescatarians and vegans and all that stuff and so they for some reason see the way that we hunt and fish in a different light than the broader public is perceiving it. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, is if your friends, Dylan, your friends, Jenny, think that you're a good person and think that you respect wildlife and that you hunt for the quote unquote right reasons and fish for the right reasons, then they're going to think that hunters are generally pretty okay. But if their connection is with someone who is, you know, is holding up a grip and grin or sharing one picture of a dead animal and doesn't tell the whole story, then they're going to think that person probably isn't a great person. And so when we get down to this individual level stuff, that's where the influence, I think most of it is going to happen socially. Cause when we run the numbers, we got a hundred plus thousand hunters, 300,000 anglers, definitely not all of them are on social media, but you know, if Jenny's saying 25 people are going to give a hundred impressions, multiply everything by four, right? That's what you're saying. So, I mean, you have the opportunity to connect with a million people probably in BC or more. Because uh, I, you know, I mean, Jenny, I don't know how many followers you have, probably hundreds, if not thousands. So the opportunity here is huge. And so at the individual level, um, the things that the individual can do, which I think is more powerful, is you can meet with your MLA once a quarter. And I always preach this. It takes 30 minutes. So we're going to meet four times a year. That's two hours a year of your time to meet with your elected officials to educate them on issues related to conservation and fish and wildlife and hunting and angling. And so if if we, if we they have a definition in their mind of who hunters and anglers are, they're going to support us in the legislature. No questions asked. Right now, we don't engage them. We don't meet them. And so for a lot of them, especially in the lower mainland, they're going to be the people that think hunters are not nice people. And that's where there's a lot of value for people in the lower mainland, especially to meet with their MLAs. Um, the other thing is to meet or share meat with your neighbors and friends and family, right? So that is, you know, what they call it venison di diplomacy, but that helps open conversations, um, talk about hunting, talk about why you do it. Um, and then the, the other big thing is to meet uh, other people who are interested in hunting and fishing. And so if you live in downtown Vancouver, if you live in Kelowna, chances are there are people on your street that are curious about hunting or fishing, and they've probably asked you about it. And so that should twig in your mind that, hey, here's a person that could be just like me and who could be out enjoying hunting and fishing, and could, who could be an advocate for this. And so if every hunter takes a hunter or two out, just like you do, Dylan, and Jenny, I'm sure you do. And, you know, for Chelsea and I, that's we take new hunters all the time. I mean, it's orders of magnitude change, right? So at the individual level, you know, manage your social media, tell the whole story, meet with your MLAs, share your meat with people who don't hunt and fish, and then take a new hunter or angler out. I, those are the, the big four things that I think that people can do at the individual level. And I think that that movement will will bring, will garner that support way more than, than me, you know, talking to some lady who thinks that all hunters are, you know, killers or whatever, right? I mean, at that point, you know, it, there's no wins. There's no wins in that discussion, right? That's like Jerry Springer stuff. It really is. Just straight, it's just straight up entertainment. I was, I was thoroughly entertained. In fact, I was like, 
it kind of blind because I heard that conversation and I was like, oh, Jesse did a great job. And I and like that the arguments that the individual that that the other individual was bringing to the table just they were totally well, they were founded in emotion and someone's personal feelings towards wildlife, which I totally understand. Like if you uh, wildlife are beautiful things, no one wants to see them them die needlessly. And if you don't buy into the idea of, you know, me, you know, hunting for your food, then you no one wants to see animals get killed unless there's some, you know, reasonable utility for for that death of the animal. So I get where she's coming from. I just that her arguments weren't really found in anything that I could that I was worried that was going to persuade someone who would have an open mind around the concept of, you know, whether we should hunt or not and what the values would bring to someone's life. And I think he did a good job of, you know, trying to share what those values are that, that uh, wildlife brings to our lives. And I, and I, I think all, all ultimately for, for me, like I, that my contribution to this conversation is like, and this is kind of in the same thing I think I've been saying for a long time with the wild hat on us. Like, like we have such a good story to tell and, our story is, it's about food. It's about going out into wilderness. It's about connecting with the people we love and, and want to hang out with in beautiful places, doing healthy activities and exercise. And like, and like all we really like, all of us are, every hunter is bound by this concept of like, if we don't protect the habitat for these animals, that we will lose animals and we'll lose our way of life. So like, there is so many out people out there who appreciate food and want and understand when we start talking about food and the importance of food to our lives and and food security like there's a lot of allies out there a lot of people will have that conversation with us and side with us and and be empathetic with our efforts to to be able to continue to do what we do uh but the other one i think this is the one that i i kind of get a little bit lost on when like even when it's to rain coast and these other these other very organized very effective conservation groups like we all ultimately want the same thing, which is to try and find ways to do a better job of managing our resources so we protect wildlife and wildlife habitat. Ultimately, wildlife habitat is the most critical part of this discussion for all of us. And meanwhile, we're fighting over like, you know, you know, you're a bad person and you're 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 you know your values are different than mine and 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 we're and we're battling over that when we're like the the last bits of you know wildlife habitat that is being removed in, in some places and we're busy fighting over our public image and not doing not working on the important campaigns to make sure that we find a way to protect critical wildlife habitat and uh, come up with more sustainable models to manage it and that's what we need to be talking about and we all got to be getting together talking about that and i just think that we're losing sight of that because we're we're at war with each other and not not really coming up with constructive solutions and around those much more important, bigger topics. So, And those much more bigger and to important topics will make the news, though. It is helping our hunting heritage when we get super hyper-focused on our mission about wildlife conservation and we actually succeed. That kind of stuff makes the news. That's the, and, and so in return, that also protects our hunting heritage. So... Yeah, and and on that one, I do in the world in this kind of like chaotic world that I live in, I do end up getting just by default sucked into this stuff because I I definitely yeah it's not my um, passion to uh, you know be on the radio to talk to some person who's adamantly opposed to hunting or to get death threats from non hunters or anti hunters or to get shitograms from hunters on a daily basis. I don't really enjoy that, but. Um, I do. I do feel like a lot of this stuff is is reactionary in the sense that Dylan, you're 100 percent right. Um, the fo you know the focus is wrong, but at the same time, a lot of this stuff hunters have never been good at promoting what they do. Um, I was I just had I was just talking to somebody yesterday, one of our volunteers with the Sim Deer Project, and and um, you know it's funny like around here somebody does like a garbage cleanup and ends up in the news. And I feel like uh, on a daily basis, we're doing more than that, like multiple times per day, like all over the place, like, you know, projects and you, all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, but I do feel like in this context that a lot of this stuff is coming to us. So like this anti-hunting movement is 
you know, hunters haven't done a good job of protecting their social image, but it's, you know, I guess we're at a point now where I feel like we don't really have a choice, um, but to, you know, and I don't want, you know, I don't want to use the the words, but we have to defend our, or protect our hunting heritage and it's coming at us. And it's not something that I enjoy dealing with or talking with, but I know that we need to do it. Um, Cause if we don't, uh, you know, our way of life is at risk. So, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. I agree with you, but I also, you know, from a researcher's perspective, the thing that really troubles me is um, Raincoast, you know, should want these outcomes, but they, you know, they've spent multiple decades trying to dismantle hunting in BC. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, I, I really have to question the motivations of the researchers if all they're turning out is stuff around hunting large carnivores and trophy hunting what their motivations are if it's really around conservation and habitat or if it's around you know getting in the media stirring the public up um because you know quite frankly like you say this doesn't do any you know doesn't do wildlife any good having these discussions right so that's well, that's part of the frustration maybe maybe mm -hmm. i'm just blowing off steam here um, cause my heart is in the sustainability piece. It's not in the arguing piece. And, uh, and I'm getting a little bit tired of, of having to defend hunting all the time, uh, to people who are what I feel like are making stuff up about hunting. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a, I think we're getting into the good stuff, Jesse, this is a safe place. So let it all out. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, I, this whole thing just really after all the emotional roller coaster calmed down, I, I realized how serious this was. And I was like, okay, how do we actually preserve our hunting heritage? And I actually, I want to be honest because Jesse's being honest. Like I felt if we somehow gathered up a hundred thousand dollars to do a year long campaign to preserve our hunting heritage and be honest, it's not going to take one year. It's going to take three years at minimum. Um, so that's 300 K, but that's not a lot. That's like, ten dollars per year for every hunter in bc just saying putting it out there <laughs> mm. and and i'm saying 100k because that's typically how much a pr campaign costs uh, for one year the story has to be good and a story has to be long term but the story cannot be about the right to hunt it cannot it has to be about the food it has to be about the land it has to be about our heritage and it cannot mention hunting it cannot mention gun rights almost for the non-public to buy in to really understand and for it to make an impact and i'm afraid if we propose that we're gonna have to spend half our time educating and convincing the hunters this is the right route because we're gonna start arguing within ourselves again and going hey i'm a hunter i just gave you 10 bucks and you better say something about my gun rights and i'm like shit we're going to spend half the money just trying to sell this idea to our own group of hunters. So that's the dread I feel right now because I'm like, okay. Um, so I just want to put it out there. Everybody behave. Just trust us. Just trust, trust the PR. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's where the market research, I mean, uh, with the social science work I've done, I've definitely taken lots of arrows in my back, but at the end of the day, you know, when people, when somebody's in their house and they fill out a survey, typically they fill it out honestly. So, you know, when I aggregate data and say, here's why people are motivated to hunt, it's because that's why they're motivated to hunt. And if someone doesn't like that or doesn't like that perspective, that's an individual part of the population that doesn't like that. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, the analogy is there's a bus, the bus is moving. If you don't like it, when the bus stops, you can get off and other people can get on. And so I guess, you know, the realization in my world too is, we spend, you know, I feel like I spend 99% of my time dealing with 1% of the population a lot, whereas yeah. I should be spending, you know, 99% of my time dealing with the 99% of the population. I think as hunters, um, that's part of what we need to have in mind is there are outliers in the population and we need to figure out a way to either ignore them or freeze them out. Um, but the voices that are constantly kind of damaging the image um i think with social pressure if all of the rest of us are pointing in a direction saying this is how we're going to portray hunting and this is how we're going to talk about it um they're either going to get on board or they're not and 
for us to spend all our time trying to convince that one, you know, I've gotten all kinds of emails, it's my right. And, you know, we should be supporting this person because we're all in it together. And it's like, you know what, um, when a person, you know, inflames anti-hunters saying the more you, um, the more you hate, the more I kill. I, I was never with that person in, in the first place. Sorry. I'm not with that. I never was. So yeah. we don't all need to stick together. I'm sorry. We're on totally different tangents in life in terms of representing hunting. So um, I guess just being clear on uh, here is here is the way we kind of conduct ourselves. And this is kind of our, our code of conduct. And if you fall out of that, uh, you know, don't expect people to have your have your back on that. Thank yeah, you, I like Jesse. That. Yeah. for uh, giving permission for us to some of us to just close the bus door and go because <laughs> we see the long game and we got to go instead yeah. of spending that time with that one percent so the, there's two thoughts i want to just sort of end off with here that i kind of want to probably are going to build on other podcast so other podcasts in the future one is like what are some of those research needs that we need to help tell a better story uh within our community like what, what do we actually want to know and as anything jump out, I, I got excited about this. I have a friend that does does research, uh, does, is a is a pollster, and we got talking about this the other day. But I want to hear from from you, uh, uh, you know, Jesse. What do you think some of the research gaps would be when we start talking about what people think about hunters? Well, I, <laughs> I think I think I know exactly who you're talking about, and I think I talk, We were talking about this last week as well. <laughs> um. I think the first thing, part of what we need to do is we need to kind of turn inside, inward, and figure out what hunters are looking for. That's a big part of it. Um, and we need to be able to tell our own story. We kind of got to get our world straight first before we enter the big wide world. And in terms of the market research around the public, that's that's just public perception around hunting and nature and those connections. I think uh, what, you know, what we need to do kind of, and we've alluded to this is how do we parallel, how do we parallel hunters and non-hunters, right? How do we show that, Hey, we're the same. The difference is in the fact that we harvest an animal and a non-hunter doesn't. And that part of it is until you've do, done it or until you do it, you don't get it. And so there's a gap there and I'm not sure how to bridge that, but that's where the research will help us point out, you know, basically kind of, Where's the public sentiment lie? And that stuff's all easy to do. But then where do these overlapping connections happen? And then what are their concerns around hunting? And then finally, like, how do we, how do we convey? I, I mean, I struggle with it. How do you convey, you know, people will say this, I hear this all the time. You tell me that you love wildlife, but you kill it. And it's really, it, it, it's, it's hard. I, I, it's hard for me to explain. And like I said, the reaction when you see new hunters, harvest an animal like it's so varied like i've seen people who are 55 years old like break down crying and i've seen you know it's so it's just it's so hard to capture that in a way that hunters understand it um because if i like i don't understand it even uh so if hunters don't understand it's gonna hard for us to communicate it out and then how do we get non-hunters to understand it so that one to me is like that's the most elusive piece in all this yeah yeah for sure go ahead jenny well, Jesse, something you said last week was uh, nobody, a, lo a majority of non-hunters don't know the face of an actual hunter. And I think that's how you fill in the missing gap. It's not necessarily even talking about hunting, is making sure a non-hunter knows a hunter that's kind, sure. that's nice, that's normal. They don't actually need to talk about hunting. They don't actually need to... Yeah, it's just being in contact. So that way, when it comes time to vote, they see your image and go, "Ah, oh, Dylan, oh, Jesse, I know two hunters. I don't know anything about hunting, but they're two nice dudes. I know they wouldn't just go out in the woods and shoot whatever that moves. I think that's the key for me. Like I've been brainstorming a lot about different strategies, and I think that's the best way because you're right. There's no words you can describe the actual act of killing an animal. It's very personal. It's different from animal to animal. And there's no point because they're never, ever, you're never going to drag them to the woods to kill an animal with you. Heck, I've been hunting for three years, haven't cut a deer tag. So that's, that's just not reasonable. So 
but but just to put yourself in front of a non-hunter and become and just be that nice person that helps them out. And so that that's just not thought. And I think that can be done at a mass in different ways. For example, like in Vancouver, I know I was just joking somebody the other day. If I put up a poster in my building and there's a hundred apartment suites in here, if I just said, who wants to learn the basics of mushroom foraging? I would have like a hundred out of a hundred people sign up. And imagine if everybody just came to that 30 minute intro talk I did. And I just introduced myself as, hey, I'm Jenny. I hunt and gather some of my food. I don't need to talk about hunting, but I go off about how to find your basic mushroom at Stanley Park. Uh, and and, and um, I, I think that's more than enough to make an impact. So I think that kind of closes the gaps. And Jesse, this is not science, but I just have a, a, an inkling. <laughs> two, two important responses to what you just said, Jenny. For one thing, you cannot pick mushrooms in Stanley Park. You're talking to a park ranger. <laughs> And I gotta follow up on that. Shit. Isn't it a municipal park? <laughs> Doesn't matter, man. <laughs> going down. Uh, second thing is, Jenny. Well, you haven't shot a deer yet. You have uh, had a successful caribou, goat, and moose hunt this year. And I understand that you may have saved the day on the moose hunt because the shooters both had such big buck fever. I should say moose fever that you actually had to, to step in front of him and take the shot. So well, well done. So yeah, just in case anybody was like, oh, well, credibility here issue. No, no credibility <laughs> issue. Uh, no. Okay. So I, I, I want to close this out by kind of, you know, there's a couple of themes here. I, I'm getting excited. But one is that there is some research needs. And I think there's, uh, we'll probably stay on this for a second after this, Jesse, and just talk about those ideas, I think. But, uh, uh, but like, we need to find a way to have, have a professional come and tell us how to what you say parallel um literally have focus groups with members of the public and share our story with them get their feedback what resonates what doesn't like some actual sophisticated like pr work that needs to happen so we can craft a story that makes sense to people that people buy into and i, I think we know what that is but i think what we need to help our hunting community out was like let's give everybody like the tools the the, the the one-liner that to, to deal with those complex conversations that we're all going to run into. And I, you know, I try to equip people with, with my core class and in our ethics session, some of the things you can say that help, but you know, it's it, it, and like, I'm not an expert in this stuff. And, and I think that we could, there's so much more opportunity here. And like you said, Jenny, an investment into a PR firm, if, if we can get together as a hunting community as a whole and invest in this type of work, that'll, it'll give us, you know, a direction and i think that's kind of what we need what do you think the opportunity is and you know jenny you're with bha and 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 jesse you're with, with the bc wildlife federation do, do you think there's an opportunity that wild sheep and the other big players can kind of all sit down at the same table and say yeah let's invest in this type of effort i think there's an opportunity there i think it's already happening i feel like i think i think this experience has propelled a lot, a lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I do. I, I feel like it's open minds. I mean, I've definitely had lots of conversations, and I think, yeah, that that'll be kind of the the way to go. Is you know, cumulatively, will be way more effective than individually, right? So, mm -hmm. um, similar to this Fish, Wildlife, and Habitat Coalition, where we have whatever twenty six different organizations from all over the province with all different values. Um, same thing with this, you know, you're just going to be more effective taking this route. Absolutely. Well, this has been fun, you guys. And I think that there's lots of messages, positive messages that come out of this conversation. And I think that's ultimately what I was looking for. It's just that there's a lot of negativity out there. And I just don't think that's going to get us anywhere. And there's so many good people like yourselves taking leadership roles in this world. And I, I, I did in this, in this conversation, I should say, and, um, I just want to make sure that we're talking about those positive things and giving ourselves a, a way forward so jenny thanks for coming on the eat well podcast and uh looks like uh, we're just about to lose jesse here so i don't know if he'll be able to come back in and sign off and if if not uh, uh i'm still I'm here still i just uh, i just still here yeah turn, turn the cam off i was getting a little glitchy there the rural internet program is killing me 
<laughs> well, we're coming up on it's nine o'clock. We're definitely getting into the Netflix hour, so I mean, everybody's clicking on their stream. So uh, I'm guessing that we're, yeah, we should probably give up this this bandwidth so people can get into their binge binge watching everywhere else. So no, Dylan, it's my right to be on here. Want <laughs> <laughs> to continue fighting? Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Awesome, Jenny. Thank you so much for doing this. And I and I and I echo what uh, you know Jesse said earlier, just recognizing that you know you do you do bring a whole different perspective that needs to be part of this conversation. You know, if it was uh, if it was Chris Prin from BHA, it'd be three white dudes talking about the same thing. And uh, you're you're yeah, you bring so much more than that. So I, I really appreciate that and, and and doing that. And again, Jesse, thanks for your time and doubling up here too. I really appreciate it. So. Yeah, thanks, Dylan, and thanks, Jenny. This is great. All right. Well, we've got something to work with here, and uh, um, I'll get this back out to you guys as soon as I can, and um, have a great evening. Thanks again for the time, and um, if anybody else, uh, just to wrap up here, thanks for listening to the Eat Well podcast. This is an important one to share with people. I really hope you guys can uh, take advantage of, uh, well, listening to this, take something away, and then share it along. Um, lots of other fun podcasts coming up. We'll be talking about... Uh, adventure planning in the next few series and probably a bunch of stuff on wildlife management. I got some great guests coming up. So stay tuned to the Well Podcast. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.